We face an adversary who hates us and who believes that it is his God-given directive to destroy us, to wipe us off the map. Are the U.S., Israel, and her allies facing the greatest threat in their history? There are growing threats to the U.S., Israel, and her allies, and we must pray about them and address them as followers of Jesus. Do you know the magnitude of these threats that face Israel and her allies in today's world? Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. And in today's episode, we learn about the enormity of the threats against the U.S. and Israel. Retired General William Jerry Boykin talks with Joel and gives us firsthand information about various threats now. Here's today's episode. I want to speak to you today on three levels. First, I come to you as a retired uh, general officer that uh, spent most of my career in special operations and uh, my last four years as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Secondly, I'm speaking to you as a concerned American who sees many things that portend what I consider to be a bleak future for our nation. Unless we as Americans and unless we as the body of Christ act now, And finally, I'm speaking to you as an ordained minister today and a follower of Jesus Christ who I believe will soon return to claim his bride. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I was commissioned in 1970. I came in the Army in December of 1970 at what could otherwise be described as the height of the Cold War. The world at that time was bipolar, and that most nations were aligned with either the Soviet Union or the United States, the two superpowers, and each of us maintained a nuclear arsenal that could destroy the other, regardless of who fired the first shot. We called it mutual assured destruction. The world was a a very dangerous place. And then when the Cold War ended, and uh, the disintegration of the Soviet Union occurred, uh, and the Americans were declared the victors. Many believed that we in the United States would never face another threat of that magnitude. And sadly, many Americans in our country today still believe that there's not a threat against this nation that can destroy us. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you today, it's my judgment that we as a nation face the greatest danger that we have faced since the American Revolution, since the time when it was all or nothing. It was freedom or tyranny, democracy or dictatorship. Today we face the greatest threat in our history. We're in great peril. And you know, it's the same kind of threat that the nation of Israel has faced since the 14th of May, 1948. And today America and Israel face a similar threat. We face an adversary who hates us and who believes that it is his God-given directive to destroy us, to wipe us off the map. Let me say up front that I believe America's roots are Judeo-Christian. Yes. It's simply a historic fact. While we accept many religions, 
that just like we speak many languages, the fact remains that our founding fathers created this nation based on their fundamental belief in a sovereign creator, that being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that both Jews and Christians worship. All you have to do is read their early writings and their early speeches about their dependence upon God, and you realize that men like Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and George Washington and many, many others saw the importance of worshiping the sovereign God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and recognizing the contribution of the Jews, the early Hebrews. I'm one American who is very proud of what we've done as a nation in support of Israel. If you think, yes, amen. Against great opposition, Harry Truman signed a statement recognizing the state of Israel less than an hour after he was told of the Jewish Declaration of Independence. In fact, in his prepared speech, Truman marked out the words Jewish state and he hand wrote Israel. He was a man that was raised to understand the concept of Genesis 12 that says that those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. I'm proud of the history of this nation. In fact, most of you probably don't even realize it was an American army colonel, a World War II veteran named Mickey Marcus that went to Israel and organized their military and trained them and prepared them for war and was killed leading them in combat in 1948. It's also a little known fact that less than a week after telling in a letter telling the uh, king of Saudi Arabia that he would never support the founding of a Jewish homeland, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was dead and Harry Truman was in the office and able to make that decision to support the nation of Israel. In fact, Truman, before he was the vice president, said this, Today, not tomorrow, we must do all that is humanly possible to provide a haven for those who have been grasped in the clutches of the Nazi butchers. Free lands must be open to them. I'm proud of what we've done. For Israel. I also would say to this audience today, we must support the Palestinian people. They, like the Jews, are God's people, and we must support them with humanitarian and economic assistance to ensure that they have a better quality of life and some hope for the future. I did not say we need to trade land for peace. Now let's return to the issue of threats. There are many that confront our nation today. You here in San Diego, you're well aware of the gang violence and the drug cartels that are fighting each other and just across our border to the south in Mexico. There are many threats that we face, ladies and gentlemen, many. I could go on all afternoon talking about the threats, but there's no greater threat than that threat posed by radical Islam. Many Americans have all but forgotten the events of 9-11, it's history. It's a faint memory, but it's very real to many of us, particularly those who lost people that they knew that were friends or family. We've got to remind ourselves, my friends, that those 19 radicals that crashed those airplanes on that day were simply the tip of the iceberg of a group of people who number in the millions. They're people who rise every day believing that it is their mandate from Allah 
to kill us as infidels, Christians and Jews and other non-believers, and destroy America and Israel. They believe Allah has told them to do that. I said earlier that this is a more serious threat than the Soviet nuclear arsenal ever presented, and I truly believe that. I believe that because during the Cold War, at the end of the day, there were people on both sides of the ocean who wanted to live. No one wanted to destroy their own country or destroy the entire world. They wanted to live. But think about it. Our adversary today wants to die because it's the only sure way to spend eternity in heaven with Allah. You see, in, in the Islamic faith, only Allah can decide where you spend eternity. He weighs the good against the bad, your sins against your good works. And whichever way that the scale goes is where you spend eternity. I'm glad to say that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary, at a hill called Golgotha, we decide as believers in Christ where we spend eternity because He paid the price. Now you ask, what do these jihadists want from us as Americans? And the answer is very simple. They want, they, in fact, they tell us what they want. They tell us clearly what they want. And that is that they want world domination. And they want for America to be defeated and converted to an Islamic state under Sharia law. Now if you don't take that seriously, let me show you something. I have in my hand a classified document. It was declassified on the 24th of uh, February. It is a classified statement by Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the mastermind of the 9-11 events. And this was statements from his trial down at Guantanamo. And let me tell you what he said in his own words. He said, killing you and fighting you, destroying and terrorizing you are all considered to be great legitimate duty in our religion. Secondly, he said in God's book, he ordered us to fight you wherever we find you. And then he went on to read the passage from verse 9 of the Altaba. Then fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them and besiege them and lie in wait in each and every ambush. His third statement, so in our act of jihad and our fighting with you, if our act of jihad and our fighting with you cause fear and terror, then many thanks to God because it is him that has thrown fear into your hearts which resulted in your infidelity, paganism, and your statement that God has a son and your trinity beliefs. He said our prophet is victorious because of fear. So our religion is a religion of fear and terror to the enemies of God, the Jews, the Christians, and the pagans. And he said America will fall politically, militarily, and economically. Your end is very near and your fall will be just as the fall of the towers on the blessed 9-11. Keep in mind that's the statement of the man that was behind the 9-11 tragedies. And in case you think that this man, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, is one of those fringe, far-out types, I want to assure you that he is not. His 
is exactly the view of millions of hardcore jihadists who have targeted America and Israel for subjugation to their God Allah. He is not alone in his stated intentions for America. Abdurman al-Moudi, the former head of the American Muslim Council, has observed openly whether it takes 10 years or 100 years, America will become a Muslim country. In November 2001, documents were found in a villa in Switzerland by Swiss police that contained a plan for radical Islam to infiltrate and dominate the West and establish an Islamic government on earth. It became known as The Project. Counterterrorism and radical Islam expert Patrick Pools has written a summary of the key points of the strategy outlined in the project. Let me read you a couple of them. There, there are many. I'm just going to read you a few. One, this is their strategy. Inflaming violence and keeping Muslims living in the West in a jihad frame of mind. The Palestinian calls a global wedge for Muslims, using deception to mask the intended goals of Islamist actions, instigating a constant campaign to incite hatred by Muslims against Jews, and rejecting any discussion of reconciliation or coexistence with them. Another the document found right here in the United States in a known terrorist apartment said the following, the Ikhwan, which is brotherhood, talking about the Muslim Brotherhood, a terrorist organization created in Egypt in the 20s. The Ikhwan must understand that all their work in America is a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging their miserable house. I think it's prudent at this point for me to tell you that for 36 and a half years I supported and defended the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, wearing an army uniform. That means I supported the freedom of worship. And I support today the right of every Muslim to worship in this country as they please. But when their religion threatens the future of my children and my grandchildren, and the freedoms that we've enjoyed, that were given to us by our founding fathers and to the Almighty Creator, when they threaten those in the name of their God, I will fight to the death to stop them. It's a fact that most Muslims in this country are not, I say again, are not jihadists. There are many ways to estimate the percentage of the 1.5 billion Muslims in the world who are jihadists. I think the best estimate is probably around 15%. 15% are followers of the theology that requires them to kill infidels and establish a global caliphate under Sharia law. Sharia law is Islamic law as provided in the Quran. One of the tenets is there can be no man-made laws, only God-given laws. Now, if 15% sounds like an insignificant number, I ask you to think about this. In 1917, only 3% of the Russians were communist. In 1924, only 3% of the Germans were Nazis. What they had in common was they had radical, brutal leadership. And we saw where that led. We saw that a 3% minority 
could have a tremendous influence, not only on the other 97%, but on the world as a whole. And that's my concern today, is the brutality of this 15% and the intimidation factor on the 85%. The question is, where's the outrage from the 85% majority who state the jihadists do not represent their brand of Islam or their interpretations of the Quran? Is the 85% afraid to be heard on the subject? Well, the fact is, there are some very brave Muslim leaders who have come out against this kind of jihadist behavior. And they are indeed brave people. They've risked their lives to do that. And God bless them. But I say this, where's the outrage? Where are the rest? Are they so intimidated that they're unwilling to speak out or do they secretly support the objectives of the jihadist? And only they can answer that. So what are the chances that they can attack us again here at home? Though the fact is, there have been over 3,000 Islamic terrorist attacks around the world since 9-11. And there have been at least 14 attacks right here in America. They've been trying to hit us again. There have been some that you haven't even heard about. I happen to know about them from my previous job. Think back to the summer of 2006 when with our British allies' support we discovered and stopped an attack that would have seen airplanes coming out of London coming into America and crashing into U.S. cities. How many Americans would have been killed if we hadn't stopped that one? Do you remember when they were going to blow up the fuel storage facilities at JFK Airport? Do you remember the planned attack on Fort Dix where they planned to kill as many military people as they could? Remember this saying, it's, it's trite but it's true. We have to be right every time. They only have to be lucky once to kill thousands of Americans. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in Matthew 24, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place but the end is not yet. And our prayer requests today are to pray that more people around the epicenter and around the world are encouraged to speak against the growing threats against Israel, the U.S., and their allies. And second, pray that God will continue to protect Israel, the U.S., and her allies, and give her leaders the wisdom to navigate some of the complexities they face today. 
I'm going to show you a video now. And I want you to pay close attention to what this guy says. It's about two minutes long. And I want you to take this very seriously. Could we see the video? Arbah Artal Minil Anthrax Arbah Artal Janta Halkuburhe Ishila Wahad Fidai Mudakhilha Min Anfak Mexico Ila Lulat Mutahida Kafila Bikatil Salafni or Salafin Elf Amriki Fisa Wahide Ida Atkana Nefurhe Ala Lua Esukani Hunak مرعبة الفكرة يعني 11 سبتمبر تطلع زلاطة عند الموضوع هذا صح ولا لا وما في داعي طيارات وشكبانات ومواعيد وقصة من المؤامرات والتوقيتات واحد عنده من البسالة اللي يدخل مع أربع أرطال من الأنثراكس ويدخل حديقة البيت الأبيض صح ولا لا وكت عليهم النون النون هذا صح ولا لا ويبب عقبها تصير المسألة تماشى هناك WMD مشكلة خايفين الأمريكان إنه WMD يطيح بإيد تنظيمات بين قوسين إرهابية I hope that gets your attention. It's a very serious situation. The threat of more attacks on this country are very real. I presume that most of you over the last couple of weeks have seen the news coverage of the 35 Muslim compounds in our nation scattered all across the country. What are these compounds being used for? What goes on behind the veil of secrecy in these places? And we know unequivocally, without any doubt, that these jihadists are trying to pursue weapons of mass destruction. In fact, they've even stated openly that they want weapons of mass destruction to bring destruction to the United States and Israel. And the president of Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, which is a tough thing for a boy from North Carolina to say. <laughs> this rabid fanatic, this jihadist, is more than eager to help them get nuclear materials. More on him in a moment. Ask yourselves this. How difficult would it be for them to bring something across our border? Anthrax. Four pounds he talks about in this video. Or even a dirty bomb. A nuclear dirty bomb. Doesn't take much to build one. When Joel was writing his book, Inside the Revolution, he and I sat for a long time and discussed the scenarios dealing with attacks on the U.S. by Islamists. He outlines my thoughts in the book. Let me share a couple of them with you. A dirty bomb would not be that difficult to bring into the United States. It's only nuclear material. It's not a weapon. It's exploded with conventional explosives. The point of it is it gives some level of contamination and the fear factor, the intimidation, the psychological impact of having a nuclear detection as a result of these would be devastating. If it happened in Washington, I believe it would shut our government down for some period of time as people tried to evacuate that city, which, by the way, would be very difficult if you know anything about Washington. I'm very concerned about terrorists bringing 
nuclear materials in to construct a dirty bomb off the coast of North Carolina or Virginia and driving it up to Washington. I outlined several scenarios for Joel, but I don't have time to go through them today. In the interest of time, I would simply say that the probabilities are very high that they can get these things into our country and conduct an attack on us. You know, I talked about Ahmadinejad. Let me say a couple of things about him. First of all, he is a maniac, but he is not crazy. In fact, let me say that if you make the mistake of thinking he's just a crazy, you're making a serious mistake. The intelligence community profile on him says that he has been a rabid, committed jihadist since he was about 10 years old. He unquestionably believes that he is ordained by Allah to usher in the Islamic Messiah, the Mahdi or the 12th Imam. He also believes that the Mahdi will return in an atmosphere of chaos and bloodshed and it's his responsibility to create the chaos and the bloodshed that would bring the Mahdi back. The Mahdi would then establish his rule over the world and there would be a global adherence to Sharia law or Islamic law and Islam would be the world religion. This is what he believes and he is very serious about it. Even the International Atomic Energy Agency has now acknowledged that his nuclear program is moving rapidly towards weaponization. His number one target is Israel and he has made no secret of the fact that he intends to destroy this small nation of Jews. His statements like, they must be wiped off the face of the earth, talking about Israel. And imagine a world without America or Israel. Those statements leave no doubt about his intention. He plans to destroy Israel and the United States. And the real sad thing is we've become so complacent about his statements that we don't even take him seriously anymore. And I'm telling you, he's very serious. He plans to do it. He intends to destroy Israel. And theologically, he has no inhibition about it. Because the fact of the matter is, if he can fire a nuclear weapon on Israel and kill a million or more Israelis, in his theology, they spend eternity in hell. And even if the Israelis return with a nuclear strike that kills five or ten million Iranians, all of those Iranians become martyrs and they spend eternity with Allah. That's his theology. And by the way, the result of his actions against the Jews triggers the coming of the Mahdi, which is his goal because that's what he's been directed by Allah to do. This is a serious man and one who I believe would provide weapons-grade precursors to terrorists that were going to use them against Israel or the United States, he would do so very readily and be very happy about it. We've talked about the threats of terrorist attacks on our nation and the seriousness of these threats, but I want to tell you that I think the greatest danger in our future is really one of complacency and capitulation. The fact is that many Americans have already surrendered to the jihadists. They refuse to even try to know the truth about what these people's intention is. Many have become apologists for these radicals. You see, I believe that the ultimate goal of these terrorist attacks is not really to physically destroy America. I believe it's to bring us to a point of such fear and trepidation 
that we're willing to do anything for peace and security. In fact, that's exactly where we're headed. We use the term multiculturalism, tolerance, and understanding to describe our willingness to accept this Islamic extremism. And when we speak openly against what's happening in our nation, we're, we're labeled Islamophobes and intolerant bigots. I've been through that drill. And I will tell you, I intend to stand and continue sounding the alarm because I believe in it. So many Americans are just oblivious to what's happening right here at home. I could stand here the rest of the afternoon and tell you about the things that are occurring in our country. I could tell you about the kinds of things that are happening right here in California, where school systems in Byron, California, were teaching children. I ran a three-week course where they were teaching children how to pray and how to read verses from the Quran and encouraging them to adopt Muslim names and fast for Ramadan. Could you get away with that if that had been Christianity? Absolutely not. The millions and millions of dollars that are being brought into our country and our universities, Saudi money to set up Islamic studies programs. That's nothing but propaganda. The madrasa schools all over our country, including right in our nation's capital, in Northern Virginia, that are teaching that Jews and Christians are pigs and monkeys. It's happening in our country, and we're watching it. The trial recently that was completed in November down in Dallas called the Holy Land Trial, the Holy Land Foundation Trial. That trial, the courts in this country actually stated that most of the Muslim organizations in this country are associated with Islamic terrorism. That came from the trial. That's not my words. That's theirs. And one of the best known, uh, in fact, most recognized Muslim leaders in this country, Abdurman al-Moudi, who was an advisor to two presidents, who in fact set up the Muslim chaplains program in the United States military who was recognized as being the most prominent Muslim in our country was caught in 2003 at Heathrow Airport with $340,000 that he got from Muammar Gaddafi to try and kill the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. He turned out to be a hardcore terrorist. But I could show you pictures of him with our presidents and our vice presidents. And I could show you newspaper articles where he was recognized as a great man. And this is happening in our country. It goes on and on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, we're facing a serious threat. I'm out of time, and I've got more notes that I could share with you this afternoon. We're facing a serious threat. I'm going to close with this. For those of you, and I hope that when you have a break that you'll go out and buy my uh, autobiography, Never Surrender. It's part of how they're using that to help raise funds to support this conference here. I get nothing from it, but I hope you'll buy it. And I describe a situation in that book that I want to talk to you about right now in closing. Most of you who know anything about me, you know that in 1993 I was in Mogadishu, Somalia as the events that we call Black Hawk Down began to unfold. I was the commander of the Delta Force. And I've faced these radicals that I'm talking about today. 
I've faced them. I've seen them. I saw them in Iran when they mutilated the bodies of our men that were killed when we tried to rescue 53 Americans held by the Ayatollah Khomeini. I saw as CNN International showed their bodies being mutilated and desecrated. And in Mogadishu, Somalia, on the 3rd of October, 1993, as we got into a fight that was later called Black Hawk Down, I watched on a black and white television as the bodies of five of my soldiers were dragged through the streets of Mogadishu and desecrated and mutilated. And my most vivid memory is a five-ton truck coming in on the airfield with bodies stacked up in the back of it, dead on the bottom, wounded on top. And as I walked out to drop the tailgate, someone got to it ahead of me, and as the blood poured out the back of that truck, it broke my heart. And I went and sat on my bunk when the sun went down, and I began to cry, and I said, where is God? Until I was so angry, I finally said, there is no God. There is no God. But the moment I said, there is no God, I felt God speaking to me in a voice like I had never heard it before. And he said, if there's no God, there's no hope. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you the rest of that. If there is a God, he's the only hope. That's right. I repented of my disbelief. I had a crisis in faith. And today I preach the gospel wherever they'll have me. But I will tell you, if there is a God, there is, and there is. He's the only hope. And I'm here to assure you today, the only hope that America has is if we as the body of Christ, we as Americans, will turn to God and ask for His blessings upon this nation. He's the only hope. We're in a serious situation. And God is the only hope. Let's get in the battle. Let's be on our knees. Let's pray this country through this crisis. It's a pleasure being with you. God bless you. Well, I hope today you've been informed and educated, listening to and learning about the harsh realities in today's world, the increasing threats to the U.S., Israel, and her allies, and the importance of not keeping silent or being too intimidated to speak in the face of such growing threats. If you found this podcast valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Do you want to talk about something else on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Go to joshuafund.com and click on Contact Us. Your feedback is very important and valuable as we develop this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund Ministry Team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.